Worship. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. Let's borrow hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing 110B, 110B. and offerings. us pray. This evening, God above, we come with our hearts bowed before you, thankful for another blessed Lord's Day, a beautiful day, a restful day, we pray. 
and a time, God, in which we can praise your name, hear your word, Lord, to encourage us, to warn us, to direct us in our lives and our callings and our vocations, God, and above all, to praise and honor you, Lord, to stand in awe of the wonder that is you and the salvation for our soul. You've selected us and are sanctifying us. Indeed, God, you have saved us, Lord, for the day when you shall return. We pray as we read uh, through the passage this evening, Lord, and hear your word, to be encouraged about your authority and power as our King. We pray in particular, God, as you are our Lord and Master for the work of your kingdom uh, to be successful in the whole mission efforts of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, both at the <clears throat> denominational level and the Presbyterian local level, God. That is, our efforts to bring about more churches in our home country, that is, America. And Lord God above, we did pray for America, for her repentance. Lord, for her submission to your word, God above. And we pray for the efforts of our denomination, of our presbytery, of our local churches, Lord, uh, to establish more churches of like faith and practice across this nation, Lord. Churches that will take seriously the whole counsel of God. Churches, Lord God above, that will preach both the, count, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the law. That will preach of the holiness of salvation and the justification, the free justification by faith alone and Christ alone. Our God and Savior, we pray that we would have act more churches like that, Lord. We pray that we would have ministers to be our missionaries, local missionaries. We pray we can find your people, to find more people, both in the city and in the countryside, God, wherever they are. Help us to have wisdom, help the committee and various other committees and churches, Lord, to have the wisdom to understand who to find and where they can establish possibly a church. We speak as a man, God. We don't know fully, but we know enough of your providence to be wise, to think about what would work best given our resources, given our money, given the talents and the abilities of our pastors, God. We ask, Lord, that we would have such wisdom, such understanding of your providence, that we can plant successful churches, Lord God above. We thank you for the churches that we have now and the efforts that we are working towards that end for the expansion of your kingdom. May they be blessed by your spirit. May they be uh, unified, Lord, in one truth, of one word, God, both as a church and as committees and as churches, Lord. We pray that there would be continued unity and continued funds and what we need through ordinary providence, God, money uh, to maintain these efforts, God. We pray that these things would be brought and we would have more people come into our denomination, come into our churches, Lord God above, desiring to be with us and to support us and to work for the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we pray for our family, we pray for our friends, that is, those members close to us who know not Christ or who reject Christ, God, that you would work in their hearts, especially those who've been taught better, that you would protect them from the wickedness of this world, Lord, and you would shake them, wake them up, God. May you chase them down until they give up and embrace you, Lord. We pray for their souls. We ask, God, that you would help us to deal with family members who are Christians, but we have our disagreements. Uh, sometimes those disagreements are sincere and of differences, Lord, of understanding of the Word of God or ignorance. Other times, Lord, it's perhaps deception and wrong kind of confusion or willful ignorance. Help us to be patient with our differences, God, and our families and our friends, Lord, uh, to work to the end that they may grow and be more Christ-like, that we would grow and be more Christ-like, that we would uh, be humble even as we were zealous to teach them the truth, Lord God. Help us, we pray, because it can be very difficult with family efforts 
and efforts for our friends, Lord, to befriend them, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, which are especially hard. And so, Lord, we pray for patience and perseverance. Sometimes we can say nothing, even with fellow Christians, that we have a number of things in common with God. And so, Lord, may we learn uh, patience in those regards and always pray, God. Pray for your spirit to work for unity and truth. We ask, Lord, not only for the health of our family and our friends, that is their spiritual health, we pray for our own physical health, the physical health of those around us. We have family members, Lord, who are sick and dying in the hospital even right now. We pray for them and ask, God, that you would help them draw near to you if they're not Christians, God. And certainly we pray for their healing. We ask, God, for those in our church who have chronic ailments, Lord, they're not always quick to say something about them, but we know who they are. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, be with them in a special manner through your special providence, that they would know that we love them, that you love them, and that they should persevere and can persevere, God, in spite of their uh, aching and breaking bodies, Lord. We certainly pray that they would have access to good doctors, access, Lord, to wisdom, and that the doctors would understand and they would be able to heal them or at least give them more comfort, we pray. And we ask, God, that we continue to have access to what we need uh, medically uh, here during this uh, new year and that we would have access to good food and medical care on our own, Lord, if need be, or again through the hospital and the like. And, Lord God, we lift up COVID again before you. Pray that we take the scourge from our land, take the abuse of it from our land, and the seriousness of it as well, of course, Lord, for the high-risk people. They would have what they need to be protected. And, indeed, as a society, we should have done that a while ago with very uh, other ailments uh, throughout the year, especially for the age of God and the terrible times of the year, Lord, to give access to uh, good things, basic prevention, Lord, masks, masks we can get on Amazon. We pray, God, we can go back to those times again, Lord, in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our open rebellion against the light of nature, let alone the Word of God. We pray again, Lord, for the protection of your church and the repentance of this nation. In your name alone we pray, amen. Let us turn into our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6. Near the end of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and you're working your way to Malachi, which I've already preached on. Now I'm stopping here in Zechariah 6, 13. A passage known to some of you, you've heard before, at the end there, or 16 at the end. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. Um, I'll go ahead and read the entirety of verse 13. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear the glory, he shall sit and rule on his throne, and he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Let us pray. With this glorious picture, God, of the New Testament era of Jesus Christ and the two offices that he exercises, Lord, uh, may we understand the importance of Christ Jesus as our King. That Jesus is a King who conquers, protects, and judges. And we ought to stand in awe of that reality and in the wonder that he has exercised such almighty power that upholds the heavens and the earth for our good, even now. In the name alone we pray. Amen. Here in this prophecy of Christ, the Old Testament saints learn that the offices of priest 
and king will be combined in one person who will save his people from their sins. And he shall rebuild the temple, the special holy presence of God as represented in the physical temple, as we know ultimately as the spiritual temple. To the Jews, this is an amazing thought, as they were commanded over and over to keep the offices separate. Kings got leprosy from trying to act like a priest. Today, we don't see that as a big deal, to be sure, because we're not given such a requirement anymore in the Word of God. We understand that Christ is our prophet. We've been told he's our priest and our king. We've heard this before. We read it in the Bible. Our catechism summarizes it that way. However, often we are more influenced by our society and evangelicalism more than perhaps we realize. When we read the imagery of Zechariah, perhaps, of his foregoing of a crown and setting this royal crown upon the head of the priest, forging of a crown and setting it upon the the head of the priest Joshua, we think of Christ and his redemptive work. We think of Christ and his redemptive work as a priest. After all, the priest is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who offers the sacrifices. Christ indeed offered himself to appease the divine wrath of God. So in this passage, perhaps, it's easy for us to focus upon and virtually only see the priestly function of Jesus Christ. In other words, many Christians think of redemption, they think of Christ as their priest. But few, I suspect, explicitly think of Christ as their king in a redemptive sense. And yet that's what we have in this imagery, and that's what we have in the Word of God. That He is our King, and not only our King broadly conceived, as He is the King of the universe, whether you submit to Him or not, as we all know, but He is our King redemptively. Christ our Savior exercised the office of His kingship to save us, not just the office of His priesthood. So we read... In the Shorter Catechism, well, this is the Larger Catechism, question 45. You're all graduated to the Larger, sorry. Larger Catechism, question 45. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censors by which he visibly governs them and bestowing saving grace upon his elect rewarding their obedience, and correcting them for their sins, preserving and supporting them under all their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for his own glory and their good, and also in taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. That's a mouthful, right? Redemption, brothers and sisters, the saving of our soul and the bringing us into the kingdom of God, into the church, is more than the act of Christ as priest. It's Christ as king as well. And so I've distilled some of these. I haven't covered all of it. In these three points, Christ who conquers, he protects, and he judges. Christ, in the first point, has, as our king, conquered sin. Christ conquered sin. We know of his sovereign might and history. We know of that great event of the Old Testament 
echoed over and over again, the powerful saving of his people from Egypt, the Lord God conquering the kingdom of Egypt. He redeemed them. He redeemed them not only as a priest that is covering their sins, sacrificing in the future, to be sure, of his son and applying to them in time and space back then on the promise of Christ to come. But he conquered a nation. That's the act of a king, not a priest. And Israel understood that. Although the offices were distinct, they knew that their God did deliver them with might and power as their king. He is their Lord. That's what the word Lord means. Not just another word for God, it's another word for God king or king often. Master. He overthrew, he overthrew, overthrew in the overthrowing of their so-called gods, as we know, Egypt had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of gods. Everything was a god. Insects, animals, the sun. And God touched all those, didn't he? He mastered a number of those and showed them who was the real God. And ultimately, in the final plague, he touched the apple of Pharaoh's eye. He killed his firstborn. Remember, what is Pharaoh? But the demigod or a half-god, so-called And God basically laughed at him and killed his son, his firstborn. That was the power of a king, exercise in the saving of his people, brothers and sisters. The destruction of Egypt as a symbol of the destruction of Satan's kingdom, ultimately, where God overthrows the power of Satan and of sin in our lives and leads us willingly captives into his kingdom. We have been delivered out of darkness, out of the spiritual Egypt of Satan's kingdom. By his might and his power, not as a priest. He is exercising the office of the priest to be sure he covers our sins. He died in our stead. He gave us his righteousness instead of our wickedness. But as king, brothers and sisters, as king, he came and conquered us and conquered our soul, didn't he? And he brings us into what? His kingdom. If there's a kingdom... There is a king, and that king is exercising his rule among us, a redemptive rule. In the Old Testament, Genesis 49, at the end of the book, in Genesis 49.10, we read, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. As you know, the scepter is that rod for the king, a king of might, of power, of conquering power. A king and his laws, there shall be a lawgiver from, from them. There shall, nor shall a lawgiver from between their feet ever depart. It says it in the negative. Because kings gave laws. And that'll be the next sermon. It isn't just rule, it's rule specifically through his word. And the people, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. We will submit to him. They submit to God. We submit to Jesus Christ, our King. And that is the church, the collection of those who submit to Jesus as King. Not just priest, but as King as well. Psalm 110.3 Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Oh yes, look at that. We just read that, didn't we? We sang Psalm 110. 
And here we read in their translation, verses, the second stanza, when you display your mighty power, your people come to you. They shall voluntarily come in the day of your power and the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. We freely choose God because of his power, not because of our own. Like Lydia in Acts 16, whose heart was what? Opened. The Spirit opened her heart. She didn't open her own heart. God gave her a new birth. She was regenerate. She was born again. That is God the King, Christ the King, conquering us, isn't it? And that's a wonderful thing because our hearts were full of stone. We were a high tower before His holiness, and God tore it down. He broke it. He destroyed it and gave us a heart of flesh, didn't He? That's the power of the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is redemptive power for us. His power is especially seen in that act of regeneration where we have a new heart, a gift from the conquering king. This power of God, as we see in Egypt, as it represents the final power of God over Satan and his kingdom, as it's prophesied in the Old Testament in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. We know that to be Christ. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, and that is us, that is the Jews then, and the Jews and us today, God's holy Israel. We are volunteers because of the power of regeneration. And we all know this is done by the great method of Jesus Christ coming to earth for us. God sent his son. He sovereignly sent his son and gave him power over all. Isaiah 9, 6 we read, the great Christmas passage has a lot more than Christmas to it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Well, what is that but rule, right? And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, kings had counselors, wise, the wise one, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, another, what, imagery of royalty and kingdom and rule, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon what? The throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. In the Old Testament understanding of redemption, which should be our understanding of redemption, is never divorced from the rule and the kingship and the law-giving power, the government of God, of Christ as king. This Christmas story, as we know in the modern Christmas environment that we have, is always reduced to this kind of sappy sentimentalism or something about God really loves us, he's a great Santa Claus, he has a wonderful plan for your life. But how many Christmas stories are there about Christ ruling and governing and directing Not a lot. They, may, they have passing mentions, uh, references to King, perhaps, as we know, the three wise men and the like in those songs, because they're echoing the Bible and they kind of can't help themselves. But most of that's kingship, his rule, his lordship. 
The picture of redemption is a picture of a king rescuing us from a foreign kingdom, Satan's kingdom, and expanding his kingdom of the increase of his government and establishing justice to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. And that's why we have what? Courts in the church of God. We are fulfilling the prophecy here of Isaiah in our home missions effort, in our foreign mission effort, in your own little efforts in your family, and in the churches that take seriously the discipline and the leadership and the government of God in the church. It is the kingdom. His government increases. Where do we especially see that government, that increase of government? In individuals, in the family, in the states? No, we know. You can see it to the degree that you see Christians there, but it's especially where do you see the rule and government and the judgment and justice of Christ as king? In the church. As we are called to be the light of the world. So the first point, Christ conquers sin, conquers Satan, and he delivers us. Is Christ our king protects us? Protects us with his law. Isaiah 33, 22, for the Lord our, for the Lord, that is uh, Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will what? Save us. Not just and simply only as priest, but as king. Because he can protect us. And he gives us what? The law. He's a lawgiver. And of course, the law, giving of the law has many functions, as we know, at least three. And I've preached on that before. One function is to bring guilt. So when Christ, as prophet, as we see him in the Gospels, preaching and warning and telling people, that's what the office of a prophet does, right? He instructs, he teaches, he preaches. And he brings guilt upon people by his law, the giving of the law. The Lord is our lawgiver. And as our lawgiver, he will what? Save us. Because we need to feel the guilt. If we don't feel the guilt for our wickedness, there's no deliverance. Because we won't repent and we won't come to Jesus. And so the law is given to protect us by giving us guilt. And of course it protects us by directing us in our lives, right? Teaches us what holiness is. As we read about this morning, sanctification, what it means to follow Jesus and to be like him. We read of this kingly imagery in the New Testament of how God protects us and guides us in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 8, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, that is Jesus, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That's a imagery of a conquering king rising up and showing how he's taken over and he's won the battle. And in this case, he took captives, that is us, and gave gifts to us. We know those gifts are. We read the next few verses there in Ephesians. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Those are the gifts, at least some of the gifts, of a conquering king. And that king is protecting his people. He brought them into the kingdom. They are now his servants, and he's given them more. Things. And these gifts are also double, as we know, as protection. Things that we need in our Christian life. 
He conquered us with the sword of the Spirit, slaying our old man and bringing to life the new man. And in so doing, he's also given us gifts personally, the, the gifts of the Spirit as we know, the fruit of the Spirit in particular, but also objectively, as it were, without, as we see, the church. He gave us the church, he gave us each other, and he gave us church officers as well. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, And God has appointed, appointed, as only God can appoint, and set in order in his government. He's making the rules, he's calling the shots, and he says, I'm giving you, I'm appointing, not you. In the church, he appoints in the church apostles and prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and the like. Those offices are not man-made. You cannot start your church with your own offices. Because Christ is the head of the church. He's the Lord of the church. He's the king of the church. He tells you what officers to have. Church is not your little domain to run. Neither as individuals, nor collectively as members, nor the officers, in fact. We're supposed to follow the commands of the Word of God. So the protection we have as our conquering king, of course, is we are in his domain. We are now his servants. We are in his kingdom. And he protects those who are his own. He also gives us gifts. Those gifts are also our protection, a double function. The church itself, the church members, the church officers, we know in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how we are united together in love. 1 Corinthians 12, we are one body. And then 13, we're supposed to love one another. And so we are gifts And we are here to protect one another by God's grace as best we can. That protection from our heavenly king with the power that he has of heaven and earth is for our body. The protection is for our body. We know that through ordinary providence, of course, in everyday life, God has watched over us and protected us. But also in the church. The church isn't so heavenly minded that it has no earthly good. We have an office that takes care of specifically earthly goods, don't we? It's called the deacon. He's not there to preach or teach, although he may teach you and preach at you and that you need to get your house in order, perhaps, or stop messing around with your money when you shouldn't, or whatever the problem is. He has that authority. But that's in the function of the earthly things of this world. The money, the house, your physical concerns, they are there to that regard because God cares about those things. He shows that care through the office of deacon. Not uniquely. You each do it. You each call to what? Carry one another's burdens to help one another in times of need. Physical help. Financial help. That's God. That's Christ the King giving an office in the church to take care of your body. You see that? Not Christ as priest. That's not what a priest does. Our soul, is, that's the most obvious. <laughs> we have the Spirit within us, and we are the temple of His Holy Spirit, and we are His property. That's not a very popular belief in America, is it? I'm nobody's property, we're told. I'm my own man. I'm free. This is my temple. I can do what I will with it. And I want the government to pick up slack from my bad consequences, because I want to do what I want to do. That's what we're seeing, aren't we? In spades. No, and God has given His Spirit, and He's given us the Spirit to sanctify our temple, our physical body, which will happen at the resurrection, to be sure, but even now we're supposed to discipline it and 
control it by his might and power, as king and as lord. This is what Christ the king does. He's given us his word, of course. We have the truth of the Bible to guide us and direct us and to warn us and to point to dangers. Proverbs is especially good for that, but not uniquely so. And he's given us the means by which the Spirit protects us. Prayer, Bible reading, meditation, the preaching, the sacraments. Perhaps you don't think of it that way, but those are the acts of the king giving you the tools to be protected and to grow and to strengthen yourself so that you are spiritually mighty, even if your body is falling apart and you can resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he's also given us one last thing here that's not always as fun. Church discipline. Church discipline. Given to the church officers, but not uniquely, because we each have a call to admonish one another if sins are bad enough, if it's obvious enough. If there's enough public disruption, you have the authority to say something. You don't always have to go to the church officers. In fact, we know in Matthew 18, if you have aught with your brother, if there's an offense, a, a clear sin and violation, you go to your brother, you yourself, are therefore exercising some of Christ's rule in the church insofar as you are disciplining, in this case verbally, although with humbleness to be sure. Matthew 18 is very clear. God has this process, this court, what? Not the language of a priest, but the language of a king to discipline and to bring proper matters to a proper resolution and to protect the church from false shepherds, to protect individuals from their own sins if it gets bad enough. An intervention of sorts. First Corinthians 5 is another good passage where Paul says, this is so obvious. <laughs> you gotta have church discipline. Why aren't you disciplining this man who married the wrong woman? So Christ protects us. Christ conquers our sin. Christ protects us. And Christ our king will judge the enemies. Kings are lawgivers and kings were judges in the ancient Near East. They weren't the only judges, as we know. They had separate judges, but they were also exercising a kingship of sorts, many kings under the greater king. We've already read the Old Testament passages about Christ as king, as judge, as lawgiver. We read again in the New Testament the reality of this. It's not just, oh, you know, those Old Testament people, they have such a harsh environment, the ancient Near East was such a terrible place, didn't have democracy, didn't have republics, doesn't matter. It's picked up again in the New Testament because it's the same religion. God didn't choose the ancient Near East. He formed it and molded it. It was part of his plan. Remember Providence? Willy-nilly. But to express the office of the power of Christ as king. Acts 17.31 we read, Because he has appointed a day in which he, that is Jesus, will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. That man is Jesus. God has ordained him. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection, one of the many consequences of the resurrection is evidence that Christ is king and he will reign and he will judge. He has judged Satan and sin and death and found them wanting and he conquered them, didn't he? He conquered sin and death as king, as ruler, as the final word, the buck stops with him, as they say. Christ is the Savior and the judge. People like the first part, but they don't like the second part so much. 
Churches ought to preach both. We're told that people become saved because people were friendly enough, inviting enough, and painted a loving Jesus enough. And yet we also know that people become saved because they're scared. They're scared of their sin. They're scared of hell. And those are proper things to have. You ought to hate those things and to be scared of them. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Jesus is judge. He will judge. And he judges as king. That's one of the functions of a judge. But who does he judge? Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 33, paragraph 1. In which day, not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal, that is the bar, of Christ, to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. That is everyone. That includes us. However, when we go before Jesus Christ as judge... He will say, I have been satisfied as a judge because I died in your place and now I'm judging you as a father. Heard that this morning, right? You'd rather be judged by a father than a judge. A father will be lenient. A father will not cast you out of the household. You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel embarrassed. You may feel some fear. I don't know about the great day of judgment, perhaps, but... I'm thinking about when I was a kid, and I didn't want to dishonor my parents. I love my parents. I like to obey my parents. I wasn't quick to rebel by God's grace. But I didn't want to get on their bad side either, did I? (laughs) And Jesus is our judge, and he will judge, but it will be a great judgment because Christ has already judged himself, as it were, because he sacrificed himself, and the Father found him guilty and not us. So he has covered our sins, but he's not covered everyone's sins. Because there are strangers to mercy. There are strangers to the covenant. There are aliens and rebels who will only have Christ as judge and not as an elder brother. Only as a judge. John twelve forty eight. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, he has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Christ is very clear. They who do not want Christ to rule over them will have Satan rule over them, and Christ will rule over them. (laughs) Christ doesn't stop being their king and lord and master when they go to hell. Don't forget that. He rules through judgment in that case, and they'll be with Satan. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Praise the Lord for his justice. Praise the Lord for Christ, our king, who conquered sin, who continues to protect us because of his kingly power, and he will judge the enemies of his kingdom forever and ever. Praise the Lord, our God. Amen. Let us pray. With these words of comfort, God, may we, Lord, be comforted. May we be encouraged, again, to carry on day by day throughout this year and throughout, Lord, this week to do our duties before you, to know that you are our king, protecting us because you have the might and power of a king and conquering our enemies. In your name alone we pray, amen. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 132, 132.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all.